Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gymnazo podcast. I'm your host, CJ Kupliska, Director of Programming here at Gymnazo, and we are going to be chatting with the Michael Hughes about breaking the cycle of injury and what it means to truly prevent or avoid injury. Hmm. What does that really mean? And what is injury? What is pain? What does an injured state really teach us? And how can we go about approaching programming and coaching athletes who have been injured, are injured, or could potentially be injured in the future? Welcome to the Gymnazo Podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnazo has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches. This podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business to how to program for maximum results to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. So Michael Hughes, welcome on the podcast, my brother. Super stoked every time. It's like a revival of the day. I don't care if it's morning, afternoon, or night. It just kicks it on. And we're ready to rock and roll about some topics that we actually started talking. You know, talking too soon. It's like no, 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 no. We got to hit hit record because this <laughs> <laughs> has to be recorded. So uh, this is this is a big deal because um, injury injury prevention, injury avoidance, whatever you want to call it. Um, we're talking about like a really huge chemical, biological, pathological system. That honestly, I didn't really get traditional study on. I didn't go to school for understand the pathology of the human body and how it actually functions. And was several years into my career, quote unquote, I was like, man, I really need to understand this because what happens when someone's knee actually hurts or someone comes after PT physical therapy and they're like, hey, I'm cleared to work out. Um, I'm ready to go now. Like, what state is the biology of that soft tissue? of the neural um, connectivity, like where is it at? And what do we really do about it? Like I think we know movement very, very well, but I think we should know more than that. And it was kind of this like, ooh, I better, I better check myself here. So anyways, it was something I dove into and actually um, massage therapy school really, uh, not really dives in, but was a great stepping stone to understand like what really happens when you are working with someone who's injured. But we're going to talk a lot about too of what happens when you just avoid that whole whole process. So I think there's some 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 great context in here and I'm excited to uh, unpack this from a trainer's perspective because I don't think it's many trainers have gone there. And if, if if you are there, then you're pretty cool and you got some special stuff going on. So off the cuff here, I mean, what is the difference between pain and injury? And I think this is a subjective thing. Hmm. And it, there's a there's a hint of objectivity to it. Obviously, when you get down to X-rays, MRIs, and really figuring out what's going on in the internal structure of the tissue, as a trainer, we don't get to see those things. We may get told what the X-ray showed or what the MRI showed, and then what the doctor said. But a lot of times, it's just a diagnosis. There's no what do you do about it. Um, why was this caused? Why did this happen? Sometimes it's a traumatic injury. Sometimes it's a traumatic event. Uh, other times it's just, I don't know, I've been experiencing pain 
for a little bit of time, and some people experienced pain for long periods of time. We're talking decades compared to a few days or weeks. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what, when you, somebody comes in with pain, discomfort, there's no extra information from an MRI or X-ray, how do you kind of approach that conversation of, I'm hurting here in my knee, in my back, in my shoulder, in my ankle, in my toe? What's maybe the questions you ask or the things you consider as a coach, an MDMCer, before you go into that first thing of this is what we're going to do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a, pain is, a, is literally a sensation in that person's head that I really have to believe them. Yeah, that's kind of my, my first thought. And it's often that I think there's a lot of practitioners or people who have these like, I'm going to use the word complainers just to keep it simple. It's like, ah, it's not that bad. You know, or at least my, my high school football coach, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not that bad. You know, my high, high school football coach was actually great, but there's a lot of them out, out there. It's like, you'll be all right. Just rub some dirt on it. But A, it's like, okay, this is real to this, to this person. And that's my, that's my first. And then my second thought is like, what kind of pain? So let's put some adjectives to it. That's really my first question. Describe it to me. Is it stabbing? Is it? tingling? Is it numbing? Is it pulsating? Is it always there? Is it there right now? Or is it only when you do something, a movement pattern? So I, I try to dive in deeper to understand what it is. Now, do, honestly, do I really know the difference between a stabbing or pulsating or tingling? A little bit. So I know chemically what's going on? No, I, I, I really don't. But it helps me define what they're feeling so I can step into their shoes a little bit more. Because I've felt pain before. I felt stabbing pain. I felt tingling pain. I felt throbbing pain. I felt pain that was inconsistent, consistent, um, burning hot red, and um, surgical pain. All those different things that are just, it's post-traumatic pain in a sense. Um, and so if I can get into their shoes a little bit more, and then for me, I have to understand, like, what is my role in this question? Why am I asking this question in the first place? And I have to realize that I always have a bias. Every practitioner always has a bias. I am a hammer and I look for nails. I look for movement pain. I'm going to think it's going to be a movement-related problem. Why? Because that's my study. An acupuncturist wants to stick a needle in them and a chiropractor wants to move some bones around. You know, a soft tissue therapist wants to get their hands on them, right? That's what we do. So I have to realize that's my scope. And I'm going to try to solve it for, from that perspective. And if I can't, then I can't. I know I'm diving deeper into this one, but that's really what I'm thinking about. And I try to communicate that, that to them. This is how I'm going to try to solve this problem. And then the next thing I look for is like, tell me, and I, this is like the best question, because if they can tell me the answer, I'm like, sweet, I know where to start. I say, tell me when it happens. And if they say it hurts right now, I say, okay, great. Tell me when it amplifies. And if I can get that answer going, then it's really off to the races. And if I can't get that answer going, then I say, okay, then let's move you. And I do a movement assessment. And I try to, I try to make it hurt. And I say that very respectfully and very <laughs> kindly. I basically say to them, okay, I know it hurts right now, just standing there. And you don't know what makes it hurt more. So I'm basically, and this is, how, this is what I say. I say, I'm going to ask you to hit your head against the wall. But I'm going to ask you to do it very lightly. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, I'm going to try to find it and make it hurt, but let's do it gently so it doesn't scream at you, you know, whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the questions that I ask. And then from there, it's, well, hopefully my eyes can see what they need, need to see, what that, what that body's telling me. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, what you said there is is basically that you can see what's going on, but you can't feel what's going on. Right. So please share with me when what you feel, when you feel it, maybe how much you feel too. Right, big time. There's so there's a, scale a, there's sense, a level. Right. Because yeah, you may feel it very lightly, but then when you do something, it's like, oh, yeah, the, the volume goes up. Um, and that's kind of a, the hot spot. It's like, okay, well, we got to consider transformational zones. We got to mm-hmm. consider, was it, right now we use lunges as the primary source because everybody pretty much comes in walking in, standing. Yeah. And so if they're experiencing pain, there might be something that's going on while they're standing or lunging that's creating more discomfort. And so understanding that, yeah, we can put ourselves in their shoes, but we can only put ourselves in their shoes if they can express what it is that they're sensing. Because yep. if we can match what we see with what they feel, we have a much better picture of what's actually going on objectively. And what we use is the framework of 3D maps from Great Institute, the anterior lunge, posterior lunge, same side lateral, opposite side lateral, same side rotation, opposite side rotation, that gives us the purest understanding of what's going on at the foot, the ankle, the knee, the hip, all the way up to the spine, and every single joint, essentially, in that plane of motion. Right. Pure. Right. And we also consider that there's a most, st- most stability continuum. you got a very mobile ankle, pretty stable knee, pretty mobile hip, pretty mo- uh, stable lower back, and then a pretty mobile thoracic spine, and working up to the shoulder blades, more stable. Shoulders themselves, more mobile. And so if we can get a better picture of what's being sensed, against what we are actually seeing, we can figure out maybe what's the root cause or bring us more towards that root of what's causing that pain. The hard part, though, is when somebody's in pain, all they want to do is get out of pain. No questions. Give me something to get me out of this pain. Whether it be um, some kind of pharmaceutical, whether it be rest, maybe it's something more natural, um, whatever the case is, it's just a matter of understanding how can we get them out of pain in reference to their emotion when they're experiencing pain. All right. So I think that, that takes us to, when somebody's in pain, uh, we're talking about maybe it's acute, maybe it's more chronic. How do we address um, that cycle of pain or injury as, as a coach? How do you do it? So somebody comes in and they're like, oh yeah, two weeks I've had some knee pain. Mm. Or I've had back pain for two decades. I don't even share it anymore because it's normal. Mm-hmm. Like how do how do you think about the cycle of injury and cycle of pain, and then bringing that into conversation? Because as a coach, that's so tough, especially if you haven't. Like I'm young. I'm not even thirty years old yet, and to ex- try really? to experience. Yeah, man. I'm not even thirty yet. <laughs> Shit, man. I'm sneaking towards forty, buddy. We but, got you, you got to catch up. <laughs> I mean, working towards, uh, working with people who are like twice your age and in in some cases, three times your age. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I was very intimidated by that coming in, but understanding what I see as a lens of movement and and more of a framework of movement and understanding how to ask questions about somebody's experiencing and feeling, um, it helps to bring this bigger picture of okay, I may have never experienced this with you before, but I can piece together the cycle that you're going through. Mm -hmm. What do you see in terms of cycles of injury and pain and maybe kind of overview of of how you might discuss an acute versus a chronic discomfort? Yeah, um, and I'm going to start with the acute phase because I I really want someone to say, and I asked it, I said, has this problem been there for more than two weeks? And when they say no, I'm like, yes. Great, thank you for you made my job a lot easier, because we really haven't had a movement pattern set in yet. You know, they could be limping, but that can go away. It just changes. So, 
I'm, I'm really looking at it's a lot easier problem to solve. That's the way, because like, I'm, I'm not trying to fix a motor pattern reset that need that media to have or a reteaching of how to move a joint pattern because that's so used to it. If it's been there for decades, I've had a, a guy says, I've had lower back pain for seven years. I'm like, okay, this guy's been moving this way for almost a decade. I'm not going to be fixing his lower back pain first. I'm going to be fixing his movement patterns first through his compensations of that lower back pain first. Because it's really, it's, it's crazy. Like, I'll say, hey, um, so when I'm, when I'm asking someone, and the way I think about this problem is like, okay, tell me when, when it hurts. And they're going through their patterns, and I'm like, gosh, that, that, I'm imagining that's going to hurt. Like, <laughs> why, are, why is this person saying anything? Because they're going through an extreme range of motion, and based upon my experience, that's probably going to hurt. I'm like, oh, no, 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 it always hurts. I'm like, okay, well, that's, okay, great, thank you very much. New rules. Tell me when it hurts more. <laughs> like you said, the volume of pain. And I use a, a, we use a 1 to 10 scale, very standard scale. And I say 10 is, I don't want to do that ever again. And 1 is, I feel it in a negative way. And whatever your gut says, negative. And I say, okay, well, so it's pretty much always a 3. Great. Let me know when it goes to a 4. And it's, 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 really, it's, it's, it's their mindset. They've been living with it. I hate headaches. I will do almost anything to get rid of a headache. But my last option is take a pill. I got all my remedies. I got all my little trinkets and toys and voodoo and da da. And usually it <laughs> works. Usually it works. But my last option is take a pill. So I have to kind of, so we all have our own little process. So I'm thinking about if it's chronically there, okay, we have probably chronic inflammation. Something else is just, and we probably have chronic stress. And we have probably chronic mental anguish about these things. So they're going to think about it differently. They're going to try to hide it. They're going to try to downplay it because that's what they've done themselves. So I'm really looking at the biological from my understanding and education of what I feel responsibly ethical that I can do. But I can really get into the mental side of things. Not because it's not because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a mental doc, but because I'm a person. And if I can stand in, in their shoes and understand to their ability of them telling me and sometimes they tell me and they start breaking down crying. I'm not talking about ball out, tears on the floor, but they're, they're, I'm like, okay. So I'm asking them to dive into something that they've been really putting a wall behind. Okay. So it's really, it's really, God, it goes deep. I'm just thinking about answering this, this question. Like, how do you solve for something like that? Well, you solve what you can solve. And you let the rest of the environment get placed so it solves and unravels itself. Uh, one of our great mentors says, you're never going to heal somebody. And I, I believe that I can push some energy out of my fingertips. Uh, but you know, I know what he's saying. The body does it itself. We put ourselves, we put the body in an environment that it can heal properly. And I really believe that. We can help that process go faster. And what I mean by that is we can, get, we can basically make the car go down the road at its optimal pace because we're just moving the road bumps. We can't make the car go faster. The car is going to go as fast as it can. The body will heal as fast as it possibly physically can, physiologically can, excuse me. But we're going to remove the road bumps out of the way. And that's how I kind of think about chronic, but most importantly, acute training as well. I want to move tissue because if I can move tissue, I can pump blood through the tissue. And the last time I checked, arteries basically is like, is like DoorDash. And the veins, that's the trash man. If I can keep that cycle moving, I'm going to be healing something faster. 
Hmm. So movement is what I do. And last time I checked, that's a really good way to pump blood. Yeah, I mean, you touched on something that somebody comes in to a one-on-one session, uh, an assessment session, and just says, like, this is how I've been. There's so much involved in the mental real estate realm of pain that those who have been in chronic pain, somebody who's been in back pain for seven years, that wall has been built, in a sense, for those seven years, where now there's a lot of space taken up in your mind and your thought patterns that involves recognizing pain as part of who you are. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's an identity. And we've been taught that it's just part of life. And yeah, injury, pain is part of life. But we don't just need to accept it as that is the way it's going to be. We can accept that pain and injury are part of life, but there are things that we can do about it. And to be able to see essentially when somebody breaks down, it's if it's a, you know, I've been in knee pain, I've been in back pain, I've been in shoulder pain for so many years that it's not just physical pain, it's mental pain, it's spiritual pain because now they can't do things with their grandkids, mm-hmm. their children, their peers, playing, playing rec sports. It's kind of like, yeah, I just write that off. Like, I'm not, it's not me anymore. Mm-hmm. When really it truly is part of your identity to want to go do those things. But the, the mental real estate that's been taken up by that pain or that discomfort has now overpowered and prioritized itself over what you want to do and who you actually are. And you said something about environment and setting up the space for your body to heal itself. Our body knows way more than we'll ever know as coaches, as athletes, as human beings. So true. It's so much smarter than our thoughts because it's processing all the things. Think about if you took a step forward and you're in knee pain when you take a right foot step forward. Everything that went into that step has already happened. You didn't think about that. You just told your right foot to go. But there's a foot, there's an ankle, there's a knee, there's a hip, there's muscles in between. There's nerves that have to be activated to get that foot to step forward that have become so ingrained in how we function that it's just part of who we are. And so to break through in that conversation, I really say a breakthrough because there's a physical trauma that we're sensing when we're in pain, especially chronically, to break through that and just to let go and not to hold on to that discomfort as part of who we are, but to say, like, yeah, I'm, I've been in this pain, and it's really taking its toll. That's step one. It's just admitting that there's discomfort. Because a lot of folks don't say that they're in pain. They don't want to complain. They don't want to share those things because they accept it as part of who they are. To get to that step and then to go beyond that, which is we're going to make change. We're going to adapt. We're going we're gonna to grow beyond this. There's a hard step there because as a coach, you have to visualize the next steps, the next pieces, and where this person could go. And as a movement practitioner, Michael, what, let's say somebody is in that back pain and they're doing a lateral lunge. They're just stepping to the side and that back pain now exacerbates, like, yeah. or, the, or that step exacerbates their back pain. In our mind, I think we light up. We're like, I can help you here. Mm-hmm. I can help you build a bridge from where you are right now to where you want to be. And kind of minding that gap of where you want to be is in no pain and be able to step sideways with no pain. But in their mind, I think in an athlete's mind, is not, how can I get out of this? It's just like, this is what I'm dealing with. There's like a blockade. I don't know if there's a question here or more commentary on what goes through your mind as a coach and as a practitioner to recognize that there's a stepping stone out of this. What is it that you share as a coach 
or maybe the how you shift your communication to working somebody who's in pain taking a step to the side when you see that it's not the step to the side that's creating pain it's everything else that's happening while you're taking that step to the side right that it can be solved for that could potentially be the stepping stone to get you out of this pain maybe not in the next few weeks but maybe today even yeah even the, the next, next few minutes yeah yeah so uh, the one thing I've realized with my own self, you know, my back has been quote-unquote thrown out before. I've had sharp knee pain before. I've sprained my ankle before. And more frequently, as I'm getting more to the dad age, in a sense, you just get tight. You know, you, you really don't have much... You, your time for self-care is just shared more. You share it with your kids. You share it with the cases. And when I get in pain, I, I first have to step into my own shoes it's an emotional response. I immediately touch what hurts. Immediately. Even though I know and my 10-hour day job is telling people not to focus on that. So I really, I really, I at first say, I get you. I get you. I know your lower back hurts. I hear you. But for the next hour, whatever, I'm going to focus on where it's coming from. And so I honestly, when I have... Uh, when I'm in pretty big pain, at least from the last time I was, which was year, oh gosh, COVID messed my mind up, but two years ago or so, I'm not going to work it on myself. I'm going to hire you. I'm going to hire Mitch. I'm going to hire, you know, you know, I'm going to hire someone else because I know I'm going to slow myself down. That's just me personally. I want someone else to objectively look with a fresh pair of eyes. And I'm that person to the, that client. So I, I really say that. It's like, I'm going to look where it's coming from. And they really don't know what I'm talking about because they just know their back hurts and I don't blame them. So it's really seeing like, okay, if it's that lateral step, I'm really looking again, it's, 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 the pain's already happened, but what caused that process? And this kind of goes through this whole, this whole podcast, this is the cycle of what's happening. They're moving in a particular way that is inefficient. Simply put, they have an attractor well, something that we say as MDMCers or as uh, fellows of applied functional science, that is not operating the way it should but it's still there. It's like someone looking at like a, a, uh, a river running through a town and be like, man, that river shouldn't be there. It should be, riving, it should be going over there. Why is it running that direction? It should be going that, that direction. It's like, you can't choose those things. The river just goes where the river goes. I'm sorry to say. But in the human body, it, it's actually the path of least resistance through muscle tissue, through joints, and into movement patterns changes all the freaking time and the more that we do it the more it sets in what i love about the phrase and i was just actually talking to some mdc's about this today what i love about the phrase attractor well is i break it down a tractor well you think about it, a tractor's tire is in a well is in a is in a divot and when you're driving if you ever driven a off-road before and you get into like a rut it's very hard to pull that tire, to turn that tire out of that rut. And if it's so deep, you can't get out. You need external force to get out. Come along, a winch, whatever the case is, or another car pushing you. Well, that's what I am. That's what you are. I'm that winch. I'm that come along. I'm that extra power that I can push that body out of that pattern that's not moving effectively. And even though it's doing it because it thinks it's the best way, way, way to do it, but it's really not. And so it's really that understanding that if we can understand the pattern that that person's moving in, joint by joint, the kinematic chain, for all those therapists out there that are kind of looking at this, we use the word chain reaction, biomechanics. 
same concept. If we can understand that process of joint by joint by joint, tissue by tissue by tissue, and we can unpack that and see that and see where the dysfunction is and, and, and solve for it before the pain registers as that foot strikes the ground and the load shoots back up into the hip, as an example, then that's what we do. And it's really cool. So how do you do that unless someone tells you about it? I think that's the, that's the biggest question. That's the cycle. How do you break that? Because normally people come for, and ask for help when there's a problem. It's too, it's, it's it's not too, too late, late. Yeah, but, but it's, it's almost, it's like later than you could have come in to solve for exactly. this. And now it's going to be a little bit extra work, but it's because you spend a little extra time not thinking about right. it. Right. And we always say, I w- uh, only if I knew. Only if I knew when I was 20 years earlier, 20 years right. younger, right? So going back to this cycle, so that's the problem where it is. And I think that's the underlying issue, that there's a pattern in their movement that's inefficient. So much so that it's now become painful. And nothing just happens. A storm just doesn't come out of nowhere. It's, there's a process. It may come up quickly, but it's still a cycle. Plants don't just grow. There's a cycle. Everything in this principled world of physics and change happens with a progression. And if I'm wrong on that, someone can check me on that one, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty, you know, 99% right about yeah, that you, one. You can't avoid the forces. They're going to they're gonna act upon you, but they're going to act upon you slowly. And gravity is one of those things that can kill us. Or make us live better. Or we can have a better relationship with them. Yeah, break world records. Hell yeah. Um, I, and I think it's important what you mentioned is that our body's going to go in the path of least resistance. It's going to pick a path that it does most often. And most of the time, our body picks that path unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Most of the time. So, well, yeah, I'm go- I, 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 fair enough. Got we're not idea. thinking about it. Yeah. It's, it's just happening yeah. in the background. And what's happening in the background is you're getting reps and reps and reps right. and sets. And over time, and gravity is acting upon you that you're going to get pulled into a specific direction. And if we're not aware of how to audit our body's process of organizing how to move, we're going to fall into a trap of this is how I move and that's how I don't move. Mm. And as soon as we get asked to move and how we don't move, typically the places of of, uh, the oh shit transformational zones, the zones that cause injury most often, those zones that we step on a divot in the grass and all of a sudden, whoo, rolled an ankle. Or we missed a step and all of a sudden we got a strain, there's a tear in the meniscus. Or we went running uh, further and we got lost and all of a sudden now it's an extra strain. Where our body's going to find a path when we're under fatigue, it's going to find how to just figure out to, excuse me, it's going to find a way to get the job done that may not be the most efficient way, but it's the way that the body found. How can we better prepare ourselves and our athletes as coaches to not fall into those biases and those attractor wells that whether they're efficient or not, if we keep doing that thing that one way, will pull us into a path of dysfunction because it's just repetitive stress over time without any other way of doing it. What is it that we can do to better prepare ourselves for movement for training or for those paths that we haven't traveled across that could cause injury. What is it that that maybe you do or you do with your athletes, we do at Gymnazo, um, that doesn't necessarily prevent injury but helps us better prepare movement so that we don't have to fall into a trap of dysfunction or injury from something that we overlooked. That's a pretty... Complex. That's great, but but I'm excited to answer it. But I have to say this first and foremost: you cannot prevent all injury. You cannot prevent all 
bad things to happen. I, I, I really wish. I, can, I know there's a, injury prevention is a huge word phrase in this industry, and I get what they're saying, but I really want to kind of put, like, we, we, I think we do a really good job of defining things. We have to have a definition so we can all kind of have an agreement about what we're talking about. Injury prevention is impossible. Injury avoidance is more possible. But the thing is that it's really the most important thing for my, for my philosophy is that we're going to do our best to avoid in injury because we can't prevent it. But what we're going to do a really, really, really good job of is that when it happens, we're going to catch it early because it's not necessarily injury at that point particularly in most cases, right? It's a, it's an, it's a dysfunction and a, or it hurts a little bit, right? Pain and, pain and dysfunction are, too, are, are scalable in a sense. And we're going to act upon it as soon as possible. And then the recovery process or the, uh, the uh, remolding process, in a sense, is going to be what progresses us even further. So to answer your question, if we don't want to fall into traps, then we therefore must train ourselves to avoid traps. How do we do that? We've got to put a lot of traps in front of us and, and basically dodge them. We need to move in ways that our body says, I am accustomed to this pattern. I know what this pattern feels like. I know how to load and explode out of this pattern. Load and explode simply means the concentric and eccentric forces that I can actually hit the ground, sneak out of it, or I can load this ball behind me and get it in front of me across the field in ways that honestly, unfortunately, may seem very, very weird and very different. And even from the appearance as dangerous, but isn't rolling an ankle a dangerous position? Isn't catching a kid who's falling out of a slide high up a dangerous position? I can keep going. I mean, I can go on for an hour just creating live situations as when do we get hurt? Well, sometimes we get hurt, and I say this often, picking up a toothbrush off the floor. You can say that's a dangerous position? Of course not. But that's what happens quite often to those people who are very, 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 very tight in the posterior chain. Is that dangerous? No. So the spectrum is massive. So we got to. That's why. That's why we have maces and vipers and um, and crazy little sliders on turf and rattle things that really no idea people know what they are. And that's why we have stretch cages that can put us in crazy different positions and mob sticks and open space where we don't fixate on a movement pattern that a machine takes us through that has a pin in it that we slide up and down. Because we have to express movement in ways that are very weird and common at the same time. Because if we can do that, our body learns, just like any person who trains for military or for martial arts, how do you beat the, uh, the opponent? You know what they're going to do. Or you have seen it before, and you act upon instinct. You fall upon your training. Yeah, that's what I've never been in the military, but I've watched a lot of movies, and that's what they say. You just go into your training. So we're training ourselves to act funky. That's, that's, that's my answer. Yeah, what I'm thinking about is essentially like priming tissues or, or preparing tissues so that you're always ready. When I go into of, more detail, which is I, great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what, what tends to happen is our body's just not ready for something. Like it hasn't been exposed to a stimulus, and then all of a sudden it's facing that in real life, and we have to react and respond, right. catching the kid from a slide, uh, grabbing your toothbrush off the ground. We're not thinking in those times. We're falling back on what we've trained. And what we've trained isn't just in the gym. 
what we've trained is what we're doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week for our entire life since we've been born. And what tends to happen is as we get beyond that elementary, high, middle school, high school age, is we stop exploring the variability and the, the I guess, more subjectivity of our experience. Mm-hmm. And we become more objective and like, okay, we've got this job and I've got my kids to take care of and I've got to do this, 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 and that and the other. We fall into an attractor well that may be great for what we do in, in most of our life, but as soon as we go beyond that range, beyond that speed, we're in a more chaotic environment, we've got to react. Now our kids or somebody's life is on the line, we've got to react in that time. Have we equipped ourselves to respond in those moments and to serve? Or have we disregarded that and now it's a moment we got to shine and our body's like, what are you asking me to do? And it does it, it does the task, it does it effectively most of the time, but doesn't do it efficiently, I think most of the time not because we're not setting ourselves up for success with maybe our daily training, our personal practice, or just how we wake up in the morning. We're not giving ourselves the time of day to take care of ourselves. Right. It's that, it's that, it's, it's that, it's, it's that critical. And I want you to keep on talking because I, I think you have a lot to say on this one. But a quick little setup. I was at the park yesterday. My little girl was pushing her body to go across monkey bars. She's never done done before. She's at school now, preschool. She's trying more, and I can see her failing and failing, but she's smiling. She's progressing her potential. There I am, sitting on next to this, this slide, and I'm like, I wonder if I could jump to that monkey bar and just fly across the air about three feet and grab on and just swing. And I stood there, and I didn't do it. There was a hesitation, because <laughs> I haven't done it in a long time. There, there's going to get to a point, if I don't try that move, that I would say, I won't even be an option in my head anymore. My body will just say, that's not something you even process as a possibility. And that's what you just said. As we get older, we cannot lose our primal instinct to explore. Yes, there should be things that we set back a little bit as our body doesn't have the capacity, literally in its joints and its connective tissue because it's been worn for years after years. But I'm going to go back to that park. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, literally, I said to myself, I'm going to go back and do it because I realized I had the awareness that said, Mm-mm, you could do that. Mm-hmm. And it was really fascinating. You just brought that back up, up to me because it's really about can you do it? And you said muscle, you said tissue priming. And this is what I think we should get into the flexibility space, the strength space, the, flex, uh, the priming space because that's kind of new. We're like, what does priming mean? How is it different than strengthening? What's the difference between flexibility and mobility? And then how does the body, how can the body really do what it can do? And what tools do we use to break that cycle or to essentially facilitate a breaking of that cycle? So go for it. Yeah. Unpack it. Yeah, totally. Um, there's a lot of truth to how our body can move in space and with the physical forces around us. And we can gain awareness by just bringing our body through those positions, through those tensions, and through those intents, those intentions. And for example, like, okay, we know we're living in 3D space physically. We know that our joints can move through the sagittal, the frontal and the transverse plane. But a lot of what's going on right now and in, in, in the history of kind of fitness is like isolating and, and bringing more of a reductionist point of view to every single joint without realizing that our body is a multitude of pieces that works together to complete a task. The cool thing is, we don't have to consider all the pieces. We can just say, hey, hand, reach over there. But what went into that hand reach? 
We could say, hey, pick up something out of the car, lift it up and take it into the house. But all the inner workings that go into that are what's most important. But if we consider those things all the time, we're going to be very inefficient in our life and become <laughs> very overwhelmed and not do any things that we want to do to enjoy life. We're just so focused on all the individual parts. My ankle does this, my knee does this, my hip does this. And we see that in a lot of joint articulations or cars. The, the, you put yourself in a position sitting on the ground and you lift your hip and you take it through those internal rotations and those external rotations and those abductions and adductions and you feel the, the work and the strain. But are you ever teaching your body how to utilize those movements in real life and authentic movements? Like real life tasks, doing the dishes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say just doing the dishes, but ADLs. Right. Doing laundry, get into your car, brush your teeth, take a shower, get out of your bed, all those things. Those are often overlooked because it's just part of life. But if we really break down all the pieces and take that reductionist point of view and say like, okay, getting out of bed requires you to swing your leg over and then a single leg balance and another single leg balance. And then you take your gate pattern and you open a door. So you do a pull and you then close the door. Maybe you do a push or, or something else. Or, you know, you're going through all of these um, fundamental movement patterns of squatting, lunging, lifting, locomoting, pushing, pulling, jumping, reaching, all those, those things that we can do as humans. If we're not understanding how, we, how else we can do them, and we're only doing them ways that we're doing them. Like you said, we're only going to think in the ways that we know how to move. And over time, we're going to forget the ways we've never even thought about moving. And so now it never becomes an option. And as we decrease our options for movement, we become more ingrained into the ways that we have limited ourselves to move. This is how CJ Kabliska moves. This is how Michael Hughes moves. This is how so-and-so moves. If we get locked in that, we are limiting the way a human moves. Mm -hmm. We're limiting the way we, we, we move ourselves. So it really comes down to, can we prime our mind and our body to prepare for the rest of the day and continue to open our experience to potential versus limiting those potentials and never even considering them, right? You consider swinging from monkey bar. Well, maybe two years from now, you're like, man, you don't even think about it. swinging from monkey bar. You're just like, can I hold myself up on the monkey bar? And then you don't do it. And then you haven't held yourself up on a pull-up bar for now two more years. Now you're thinking about, I can't do that. I can't do this. It's not more of a potential option. It's now, I can't, and mm -hmm. I'm limited. And now you've limited not only your mental body, but your physical body. So what is it that we can do priming-wise? Well, it's taking our joints through those articulations, but in function. It's taking our in ankle. In real life. In real life. Positionings. Gravity, force, da da da. Yep. So, like, what is what goes into essentially priming? And I say priming is like a warm up. It's like preparing for movement. You're priming the tissue. You put the primer on before you put the real paint on. You prime the pump before you start the engine. It's a primer for your body. What is it that you're putting into a, a priming sequence to prepare you for what you're about to do? And we can look at this from two perspectives. I think one is is just the lifting and the training side in a gym. Another side is life. In life, there's a lot more I don't know and chaos and unknown. So how do you prepare yourself for that? Well, we got to consider what are the true ways you can move? What is the potential of ways you can move? And what we do, I think, is so great is 3D maps, 3D movement analysis performance, performance systems from 3D map from uh, Gray Institute, which is you're taking your body through all the sagittal plane movements and extension and the complete opposite of that pole, flexion. Now your body has the ability to understand what are the 
ends of that spectrum, forward and back. Mm -hmm. Then you take yourself through the lateral motions, the frontal plane, your ankle, your knee, your hip, your spine, your shoulders, your head, everything going through the frontal plane. Your body has now an opportunity to recognize proprioceptively what's going on laterally. And then to get to the transverse plane. Now, if we do that pure plane-wise, sagittal frontal transverse, what we have is a framework of understanding for our body to process whatever movement happens in that day. It's primed. Rep one compared to rep five is going to be very different. Of course. Warm up from the first minute to the 10th minute to 15th minute. It's going to be very different. There's a point where you hit your priming sequence or your warm up where you feel like, I'm ready. And I think a lot of people haven't experienced that because it's just the day-to-day, the routine of going through the movements which is step one, just doing the movements from doing nothing. But step two is doing them more intentionally. What is it that I'm about to do? Am I going to go do yard work later? Am I going to go for a run? Am I taking the dogs for a walk? Taking the kids to school? There's different levels of priming mentally and physically that go on there, but if we can pay attention to how we're setting ourselves up for more success, we're going to experience more success. And I know I kind of went on a little... little, uh, Rampage there of, of priming and, and warm-ups and 3D maps. But I really think it comes down to we can set ourselves up for more success, but we have to think about what we're about to do. We have to actually put ourselves into the future and say, can I set myself up to have my ankles moving better, my hips moving better, my spine moving better, so that I don't have pain in my knees, my low back, and my shoulders, and my neck. And that's really what I think what it comes down to is people have a lot of pain in their knees and their low back and their shoulders, but that prevents them from going and doing the things that they want to do because they don't have a priming sequence. They don't have a way to prepare themselves to get from beyond maybe just acute pain, go stretch out, move around a little bit, bring some heat into the tissues. And like, I feel actually pretty good. Now I want to go for a hike. I want to throw the ball around a little bit. I want to go swimming. I want to go work out. This feels good. Um, what do you think it is in that priming sequence that can help somebody be better set up for life? Not just working out in the gym, but you wake up in the morning. What is it that we, that we can do as human beings to better set, our, better set ourselves up for success throughout the day so that those little things that happen throughout our day that we're not thinking of that bring us into attractor wells that then prevent us from doing the things we want to do? What do you think it is that, that is a simple way to go about priming for your day? Yeah, I think it really all starts, and this is the biggest problem, is we just don't have the awareness. No one has taught us that. Physical education, at least in my experience, and I got a lot of years left to, to figure stuff out, doesn't go there. We just haven't taught our population, our, our children's mindset, that movement is something that needs to be taken care of. We teach them a lot. of We teach them about nutrition. We tell them about our, our history as a nation. You know, we tell them how to prep ourselves to communicate better. Um, We even tell ourselves, and I say this often, how to brush our our teeth well. But do we tell them how to stretch well? Do we tell them how to prime movement well? No, we don't, because they're kids and they're they're rubber, and they just bounce. No, they're still hurting themselves, just very micro. And those things add up, and they really start adding up when you're 80, because they just kept adding and adding and adding and adding and adding. So... I think the biggest thing is, is we look at the animal, animal kingdom. We, do, we look at nature. It primes itself, it, it, for the most part. You see animals stretching and preparing movement patterns after a long period of zero activity. And I, they do kind of the same kind of move, at least four-legged a- animals do. You know, um, kind of, it's 
kind of a down dog kind of kind of feel if you know what what I'm talking about. Um, but I, I got two uh, cats now. Those things are crazy. They're crazy. Like they live in a in eleven hundred square foot world. They try to sneak out, but they're gonna die up on the on the road. And we know we the, we know the more we keep them inside, the more we have to keep them inside because they just can't figure out outside. And there's gonna get to a point where like uh, I'm just gonna die. Anyways, <laughs> so we keep them inside. They use that house like a freaking jungle gym. It's impressive. My my couch is ruined, but other than that, they love that. that, that. And I'm like, why don't we use this place? And it's like, oh god, I think we should. I think we should do more often, more stuff, more more movement patterns. So, I think the biggest thing that we can do is, hey, we need to have the awareness that we should do something. And the priming is honestly, and <laughs> it's so simple. But if you think about a hula hoop, that's a real good prime. It's a real good prime. Just get them hips moving, and the orbital passion uh, f- uh, pattern of that is really going to take a lot of gunkiness out of your morning. And should you start doing that now if you have never done it for 30 years? Yeah, you can do it now. Just go easy. You know, take it take it slow. Um, when was the last time you really reached overhead and leaned to the right and left? Like really the good morning stretch, but took it north and south, east and west, clockwise and counterclockwise, or what we call sagittal funnel trans- transverse plane. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you actually got into a big stride stance? One foot way in front of the other, one foot way back the other. Held on to something. I don't care. Make it simple. Make it make it danger free. You know. So when was the last time you really tried to kind of push the hips apart, like you're doing the, the side splits? Don't go crazy. When was the last time you did that? And I'm gonna. I guarantee, if you do that appropriately, you're gonna feel some stuff stretching, and you're gonna say, "Wow, that feels good." If you go too much, you can say that that hurts. Yeah, because the body, like everything else, is a process of progression. You go too fast, you get a sunburn when you try to get lay out in the sun, right? It's just follow that mantra on life, and you're going to be okay, you're going to be fine. And I think that's really those things, but we just don't do it. We just don't do it. We just keep pumping and driving our car, never changing its oil, never rotating the tires, and just think one day it's. We just think that's the way it goes, and that's not. It's never been the case. It's never been the case. But we've had this this kind of um, blue collar kind of upbringing in the world where we had to work for our livelihood for our survival. Movement was part of our survival. Now it's not. Hmm. It's not. It's, it's, in fact... We live very comfortably. Very comfortably. I got, a, I got a table and a chair in every room in my house. <laughs> <laughs> you think about it. So crazy. <laughs> That's true. We're sitting down right now yeah. in a cozy chair. Co- man, it's cozy. And we don't sit down very much. Yeah, we stand up often, we, so this yeah, is nice. Yeah. We stand up most of our day, and we move most of our day. And honestly, a lot of our day is priming movement. You know, I was talking a lot about this. Like, do you need really need to work out hard every day or even once a week? I, I really do not believe so. As the average Joe, as the average Jane, you know what I'm saying? No, but we need to definitely, definitely explore movement. And we do that often. And it's, we do our warm-up. We do with the cool-down. We demonstrate exercises for, for people literally several times a day. And we explore the space. It's way more than like a UPS driver. They're doing kind of the same patterns over and over again. Picking up a box, carrying it, and putting it somewhere. We go way bigger on that one. And it's awesome because I feel great. And I, if I keep doing that, I know in my next lifetime, which is I mean my age doubled. That's how I, I kind of look at it. I'm going to be just as, just as fine. And I'm going to feel pain and dysfunction along the way because I'm going to forget some stuff. I'm going to slip on some ice. 
I may even get into a car crash. I hope I don't. But what am I going to do about it? I'm going to realize that my tissue got damaged, and I'm going to go even a step further because I have—I I won't do this in, in my life, but my wife has. She's going. She had. She had children. She got into a child car crash. Kalina would say the same thing. Women's pregnancies are car crashes. What do you do afterwards? Oh, you're you're fine. When was the last time you get a car crash? You say you're 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 fine. It's like this thing's like no. What do we do after the fact? How do we get our body back into that cycle of freedom versus? Um, holding and bracing, and it's really crazy. Like a lot of people who get into a, who a car crash, good good people I've known, nothing bad happened to them. But like a few days later, like massive headaches, lower back. It was all later because they're still holding that tension of that brace. It's protection, man. Totally, it's, it's, it's the body's way of protecting itself. Right. Like, whoa, we don't know what's going to happen. We need to hold. Right. And if you have a tough time at home, bad relationships, unhealthy relationships, stress at work. You're holding, you're holding, you're bracing. And when people say, I just carry my stress in, in, in my traps, I'm sorry. You're just bracing, you're holding on. You're trapping on. yourself. You're trapped, yeah, exactly. I, I, I know what they're saying, but they don't know what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the way it is. No, that's not the way it is. That's the way well, you're they're asking for a way out of it. How do I, right. what's the path out? That's what they're pushing on themselves. That's, what, that's where their body, it's really is this concept, we just don't know. So it's, it's, it's understand that we need to create the flexibility, the mobility, the strength, the conditioning, the coordination, the skill set. It's a big job. That's why we have jobs. A hundred years ago, we, our job would not exist. Maybe for someone who got ran over by an ox, you know, and they got that hoof right into, into their glute. Yeah, more impact injury based exactly. versus a non-impact injury. Right, because that, that tra- they saw it holding that trauma because that glute needs to repair itself. Once it does, that movement pattern needs to come, come back. You know, so those things still need to be taken care of. But now we're dealing with inactivity problems and the world doesn't even know it. The cycle of injury really comes down to those reoccurring things. It's like, man, you know what? I got I got hurt doing this lift. So then I took a couple weeks off and I felt good. I went back to working out and I got hurt doing this thing that wasn't a lift. It was just a step. And then I took a couple weeks off and I went back to this other gym and then did this one thing that was just in the warm-up, and I hurt my neck, and I couldn't turn to the right for four days. And it's like the, the cycle seems to be, from what, from what I can recognize, is that people are going into, into a program or into a workout style or a methodology that is asking their body to do things that they have not asked their body to do before, and then they're going way too hot out the gate and basically turning the volume up to level 10 without knowing what volume level two or three sounds like doing this. It's a new stereo. You got yeah. what you got a set of speakers that level two is like one thing and you go to another set that's like, damn, that's loud. Cause it's built for different things and different intensities and, and different intentions. And I think, a, I think a big way out of that cycle of injury of like, you know what, when I just go move and train and lift weights, I get hurt. It's, it's so much less about that. And so much more about where is your mental state going into those things? Are you just doing that thing because you want to sign up for something new? You don't know what you're getting yourself into. And then the coach doesn't know your history. And so now it's just this constant feedback loop of, help, I I hurt myself again. I'm going to take my time off and rest and then get back to it when I feel better without realizing that you may feel better, but you feel better from not doing anything. So your attractor well has pulled you back into a place of dysfunction, a place of non-function, a right. place of functioning in a seated supine, laying down position. Let's just work on your tissues. 
um, sim- similar kind of thing happens with like massage therapy and chiropractic is that, you know, I'm hurting. I go to the par- chiropractor and massage therapist. I feel so much better leaving, but the next three days are so bad. And then I'm right back to where I was, square one, or I'm worse. Because nothing was retaught back into their their neurophysiologic, neurophysiology. Neuro, um, they don't know how to move with these new ranges that the chiropractor and massage therapist set them up for. They feel better. There's more space created, but their body doesn't know how to move with that new space. It news it's, it's tractor wells. It, and, it, and unfortunately falls back. And that's why mm-hmm. these these modalities, they say you need to come back, come back, come back, which is good. I get it. But it would be so much cool, it's so much better if that chiropractor, massage therapist, and movement coach formed up, said, I'm gonna adjust you so quickly, man. We're gonna get you into space in a second. The soft tissue said, I'm gonna go in there, I'm gonna clean up all that tissue that pulls you those those bones back. And the trainer says, I'm gonna keep it there. I mean that's the it. trifecta. That's what it is. I mean It's melting. It's it's molding. It's moving. It's moving. Yep. Um Let's kind of—I don't want to switch gears necessarily, but I think getting this more into a practical state of application for what we've been talking about, which is a lot about injury and just like the pathology of it and how it happens and this endless loop—we've kind of gotten to this endless loop. If someone does get injured, and your coach, what should that coach do to help them recover and prevent that injury from occurring again? Great. If someone gets injured, and, a, and we we call it a non-impact injury. Right, non-impact injury. No one hit you. No one did anything to you. Your body did it to itself through its own movements. Yes, there may have been a weight in its hand. Except, you know, force may have been you know exacerbated in a sense, but it's still a movement injury. We need to see that person ASAP. They need not just stop. When when I'm going to say this, I'm going to try to say this as respectfully as possible. When a doctor says you're in pain via movement, movement pain. Don't do that action anymore or just rest. I say to myself, that's a, that, is, that, is a, that is a D minus answer. D minus. You need to continue to move in pain-free ways. That's what they should say, and that's, that's still a B minus answer. The A answer is you need to find what movements are causing that pain. And that's our, and that's our, that's our marketplace. That's what, that's a new niche in the marketplace that we are trying, that we are filling, and we're trying to help as many other trainers fill through the MDMC process as possible. And we're not the only ones doing it, but we're not going to wait and sit by our sides. We're going to push it. That's what we need to do. Find out why. And the cool thing, as I said it before, if we get more movement, we get more healing because we can push blood flow. Because when something swells, it should swell. Swelling is a good thing. When it becomes a bad thing is when it's there for too long. That's why we have ice and all these things. And things Chronic like that. inflammation versus acute inflammation. Right. Humiliation is a good thing. We, we want that sucker to swell. But we need to also get some motion back. Because if it swells too long, then we change our movement pattern. And then we're fighting a whole different animal. Set of compensations. Bailouts. Yes, exactly. Ways of figuring out your way around the pain that right. then create new dysfunctional patterns. Right. So the cool thing is since we know that the, each joint has six pure ways of movement, forward and back, side to side, spin right, spin, spin left. And we know um, half of those joints really don't like to do two of the, th- of the three of them. They really the like stable to do one ones. of them. Yeah, exactly. The knee joint doesn't like to rotate, but it can rotate. And it should rotate appropriately. Again, we can do a whole podcast on that topic. Um, we need to create 
joint patterns and make sure that tissue doesn't get bound up in its static state of holding, protecting, and healing. So if we can do that quickly, right out of the gate, then we keep the neuromuscular system alive, we keep the muscular system alive, we keep the fascial system alive, we keep everything moving, great. And if, let's say it's a surgery, where we literally took a knife and screws and pins to someone's knee, you said it before the podcast, good, their upper body needs to keep moving as much as possible. You're, you're going to train every day. In fact, bring your wheelchair in, bring whatever you got in, we're moving you, because that fascial line through that overhead press, even though the knees were, is gonna, it's connected. And if we can do a rotational overhead press and it's that left inside knee that had a meniscus cleanup, we're still training that left knee. Even though we're not moving the knee, we're just standing there. But a right overhead, same side rotational press, boom, that right knee is saying, thank you very much. I really appreciate you're planting a seed way down there that I'm gonna take that fruit from when I surgically and res- respectfully tissue-wise it healed um, can. And that's keeping that whole process going. Um, and we know that, you know, total knees, total hips, they're out of bed that, that day, if not the, the, the next day, because they used to put them in bed for like two weeks and they realize, oh shit, we just caused a lot of problems. We got to keep that blood flowing. Yeah. Yes. We got to keep the patterns moving. So it's really cool. It's like, we need to do that from an injury standpoint, right out of the gate. You did a deadlift and your lower back hurt. I get it. It's seized. And it's going to take a few days for that to calm down. That, that overwhelming tightness in the lower back, but still find out what you can do. And sometimes it's very little. Honestly, I've had a, like an ankle sprain. I'm seeing you the next day. You're playing pickup soccer in an in a, well, in a, in adult league, massive ankle sprain. Not surgical, but bad. I said, I want to see you the next day. And I tested all six ranges of motion that that ankle can go through, and it can only do one. It was black and blue. It was bad news. But I could do one. I said, good. That's where you're starting. Give me that one pattern over and over again, not ad nauseum, appropriate rep, rep range and rest time. Next day, says, on, honestly, man, my hurt ankle sort of hurts real bad, but actually feels a heck of a lot better. And this is day two. I'm like, day two? It should be getting worse and continue worse, you know? And, and again, we did, did we do a miracle? No, but we kept the process going. So it was truly a four to six week ankle, ankle sprain versus a two-month, and then now a 20-year ankle sprain. Right. That's like, ah, oh, my ankles are, are, are just bad. I always ask, someone says, oh, I've had, you know, I have bad ankles. When did you sprain your ankles? High school. How many times? Um, I can't even count. And that was 20, 30, 50 years ago? Come it's on. It's like, let's, okay. Let's so deal with this. I think we're going to deal. And we can still deal with it. That's the cool thing. You're mm-hmm. not done. The, the sis- body's adaptable. Yes. It will. It can revert back to 100%. No. Do you need 100%? No. You gotta have functional level right. and a success success level, right? And I think that's where the I'm gonna say this out loud. It's, it's the it's the it's where the medical field fails um, as a as a general um, field because it's about trying to solve for the symptoms and that discomfort and saying just don't go do these things. But that's gonna make things worse because now you don't go do those things. If you don't use it, you lose it. And if you stop using those movement patterns or those paths, you're going to keep losing it, and it's going to create more dysfunction. And now all of a sudden, that knee and back pain you had is now shoulder, neck, my other knee, my ankle. And it's like, I don't know what to do about this. It's like, well, the more complex it gets, the simpler it is to fix because it's probably a couple of little root causes that just need to be addressed. we got to make your foundation stronger. You have trouble standing for, for more than 10 minutes at a time? There's probably something going on with your feet and your hips. When you're just standing there, there's nothing wrong with you. 
just something wrong with the communication that's going on here. And we can get somebody back to a higher level by focusing on where they are successful with where versus where they're failing right. versus where it's causing pain. Oh, it's causing you pain when you're running? Stop running. Okay, wait, hold on. We need to kind of dive into this a little bit better, a little bit deeper. Why is it when you're running? Or when is it when you're running? Or are you successful in a stride stance and you feel no pain? It's only when you add impact. Can you lunge without pain? We have success and a threshold and a, more of a spectrum to get you back to impact and running. But we've got to know where that success is first. And I think that's where we, as MDM steers, can steer towards is understanding where that success exists and where it doesn't exist. And then we can mine that gap and use that success to create more success, foster more success. Yeah, good motion produces better motion. Bad motion produces worse motion. So I get people say, I want to stop doing that. I get it. But and let's say it doesn't just spiral down to other joints. What it does spiral down to is their emotional and wellness and their mindful life. I love running. I need running. You just took that away from me. Now I'm mm. a bike rider. I hate bike riding, but I do it because I need health. I hear that often. Yeah. They actually listen, but they, but, they, but they lost part of themselves. Last time I checked, the physical system of our body is directly integrated in every aspect to our mental state. And last time I checked, at least I was told to me, the physical, the mental people that I understand and trust very well have done a lot of science and ed education and paid millions of dollars for this stuff over the course of time, know that it's tied directly to the spiritual side. And those spiritual leaders that I listen to and love to, and they, though it's really tough to define it as a science, they're like, it's 100% completely involved, every single person, physical, mental, soulful, whatever you want to call it. And when you mess up someone's physicality, you're messing up someone's soulfulness. But if you can get to someone's soulfulness, you are directly influencing the positivity change in their physicality. And we do it from physical, and we see it drip. That's what we do. But how do you do that? If I'm going to teach you a new board game, should I let you win maybe the first time? Well, maybe there's a threshold on, on that one, right? But should I probably teach you the rules first so you can win, so you want to play again? Or to just shove it down your throat over and over again. Ah, you'll figure it out, and I just crush you every time. Hmm. Are you going to want to play that game? No. Universally, no. Eventually, that person will break. So why are we doing that in physical fitness? You got me, man. You know, win. We got to win. Not well, win, but we got to be successful. Yeah, I mean, you hear a lot about, like, injury prevention is all about strength training. It's like, solve your weaknesses. Hmm. Um, how, how much truth do you find in that statement? that we need to strength train. And um, you get a lot of people coming in from different walks of life and different injuries. They've gone through the medical side, physical therapy, and gone to chiropractic and acupuncture, and then sometimes we're like the last resort. Yeah, typically, typically we are. Um, and other times we're not, but a lot of times we are. And we, we hear a similar story of like, yeah, we've worked on building strength. And we know that it's not a strength issue f first. It's It's a... Most stability issue. It's typically an yeah. issue with mobility and stability, but not in one joint. No. It's the entire global function right. of when you're experiencing pain and, and how you're experiencing that pain um, or that, that injury even more so. Because um, pain can be just subjective, but injury, it's more objective. Like we can see that there's actual trauma to tissue, to a bone, to a muscle, to a tendon, to a ligament, whatever the case is, to a nerve. Mm -hmm. um, what do you say to that? Like, yeah, injury prevention is all about strength training. You just got to strength train. Yeah. The, Solve for the weaknesses. The, the typical traditional physical therapy approach 
um, and I think I'm being f- relatively fair in this, is make it stronger. And what I, what I think is I'm going to say, great answer, but you just put the cart before the horses. That's not what you do first. You have to strengthen it. I, I, I do believe that. But I would say 90% of the people need more mobility first. They need, the, they need to be able to access the range of motion that that joint can go through so it can get stronger. Instead, they just start strengthening it. And it does work. It really does work. But it's a, it, it's a partial work. It's a limited work. It's a, it has a, it's like a, it's a, it's a doesn't last forever work. Because you can, over, you can make a muscle so strong that it, that it overpowers the resisting tension that's somewhere else in the body. And you can saw, oh, my, my pain's gone. But what if you lose that weakness or that strength? Because you don't do those same drills over and over and over and over again. <laughs> Your pain comes back. But what if you give them some, so let's say, like, let's say someone does like glute bridges because they have a front hip pain. Okay, what if you just have you stretch out the hip flexor? As an example, I know it's super simple. Well, you don't have to do glute bridges anymore because you already have the strength. If you can walk into our doors, you have enough strength. Do you want to get stronger? Well, of course. Let's take away the resistance, that fascial over-tightening somewhere else that's causing the imbalance in the teeter-totter. You're causing a tug-of-war and a battle within your body. Yes. Like, can you get rid of that tug-of-war yeah, and create cooperation? Stop the tug-of-war first, then strengthen each side. That's what happens. We try to make... It's like you're playing tug-of-war, and you're the muscles trying to get stronger, but you're playing against a rock buried deep in the ground. Who's going to win? Eventually, the rock is going to win because no muscle can outlast the time of tension. So, but the rock's not going to feel it. It's what's pulling no, on it, right? Of course, it's the, it's the person feel like ah, like uh, like oh, the person knows. The rock's like <laughs> it doesn't matter. I just keep settling in. Right. Here. So let's just strengthen the person. I like I kind of say it like this: Do you fix the bully or do you fix the kid getting picked on? Who's yelling? The bully never yells. It's the kid that gets picked on. He's yelling. Let's fix him. No, no, stop the bully. That's the thing. It's like, well, let's just make the kid stronger. I, I, think, that's, I think you're going to go far with that, but you're not going to solve the problem. I love that analogy. I mean, how many times do you get somebody coming in who's got right shoulder pain? Like, uh, sometimes it's my left. And the last six months is my right. And you know what? My right knee's been hurting, but like today when I come in, it's my left knee. It's like, we're working with an imbalance here, and it may not be a strength imbalance. It could be that something is too strong and the other part is still is strong Mm -hmm. but the part that's too strong doesn't know how to work with the other part that's not strong enough right and now you've focused on yeah your right knee had pain so you strengthen your right glute your right quad right hamstring your right calf but the issue was never your right knee it was that that right knee was taking the brunt of the force because your left side wasn't allowing the you know length to occur maybe your right knee is in pain because your left anterior hip has been fighting back so much every time you step your right foot forward into a lunge your right knee hurts your right knee hurts right. and your right knee is the kid yelling out but your left front hip is the one bullying it saying i'm not going to help you keep doing it right knee yep keep doing it <laughs> keep going you're like, all right, we got to keep strengthening that right quad, right glute. And the kid's like, dude, I can't get any stronger. This bully is just so strong. Like, you can't fight the boss at that point. You got to understand what the boss is, is doing to that, that kid. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, traditional strengthening does work like that. The, the, the kid, the peewee, gets strong enough. But what if the peewee misses two days of strength training? The bully doesn't matter. He doesn't have to get stronger. It's already there. 
take advantage of your fatigue. I know. It's really what it comes <laughs> down to. That's why, that's why it's, it, it's intermittent changes, and that's why it does work at times. And that's, honestly, 90% of the people that I've, and this is just my quick you know, number here. It's not this, this detailed. 90% of people that come to me that need, well, I believe us, are, have that situation that we just described. The bully's too strong, too dense, too tight, too in, immobile. It's not going to budge. And we're trying to do other things to, to compensate for it. But there is the other 10% of the time that someone is too weak. They're too mobile. The joints don't have enough control. And that's where we need strength training almost right out of, right out of the gate. And it's also strength training in ranges, though. So yes. it's always a mobility yes. and stability yes. thing. Yes. It's yes. never one yes. or the other. It's always both. But... Yep. In terms of what spectrum? Right. What what do you put more for on the scale, right? Mobility space is always a scale. Where do you put more rocks? That's it. It's I mean, really, I've screwed up more people because I did not realize that second point. Everyone was too tight somewhere and therefore causing pain somewhere else. And if anyone's listening right there, because I'm not perfect, I tell you what, I've just didn't realize I was so dogmatic in that way of thinking. That's no, people, there's a mobility issue. People are too mobile too. And it's not hypermobile, it's not double jointed. They're just, that's, that's how they, that's their body structure. And it's pretty cool because it's actually, I'm finding it's more of a, it's, I can fine tune it more from a body structure. I mean, it, it can tip my thought process a little faster. If I look, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, look at that, all right, okay. They're more lean and mean people, typically. This, that's my personal thoughts. Um, but it's not always the case. Boy, it's not always the case. It's tough, too, to figure out what's the cause. I mean, is it mobility, is it stability, and to how much? And that extent, it's not so obvious. You simply have to ask the questions right. that lead you to more understanding. And right. there's never one answer. There's going to be multiple answers. And I think that's where um, a, a lot of movement assessments fail is that they, they are great exercises and movements to, like, consider. But it's not ever giving you the full picture of what's going on in reference to real function. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to 3D maps, uh, and not even just 3D maps, more of just spherical awareness, understanding that every single person comes in basically with a dome surrounding them. The ground is the base of the dome, and everywhere you can reach is another part of that dome. Like if you take your right hand out in front of you, that's front of your dome. Above you, that's top of your dome. To the side of you, that's the side of your dome. And then rotate, that's the back of your dome. But then you can also expand that dome by bringing your lower body into that. There's an upper body, there's a lower body, there's a front of the body, a back of the body, the side of the body, a medial body, and then there's the top and bottom in terms of spiral. Um, and uh, Tom Myers goes into anatomy trains, right? Tom, yep. I think yep. Tom, yep. Yeah, Tom mm -hmm. Myers. And, and the pieces of like diagonals and slings and all these different ways your fascial lines attach. And when it comes down to it, it's as a coach looking and working with an athlete, not simply telling them what they need to do, but understanding where they've come from and knowing a history of their injuries, knowing a history of their surgeries, knowing a history of discomforts and things that have popped up here and there throughout the years, and then taking them through a body audit, in a sense, the 3D maps, to just give you a basic understanding, at least a framework of understanding of where they currently are in a standing position. Can they lunge forward? Can they lunge back? Can they lunge side, opposite side, rotationally? And as a coach, you're going to continue to develop your eyes for not only understanding what you're seeing, but now how to ask the question of what's going on in the feeling. Because a lot of people don't know how to express what they're sensing and what they're feeling. They're just, it's pain. Mm -hmm. But like we said in the very beginning, there's a lot of different ways to express pain. And sometimes 
it's so subjective that there's really no injury or thing that's going on physically. It's more of a mental thing and a fear and a blockade of where they could be and a potential of where they could be. They never had the right guidance to just help them explore their potential. As a kid, you're going to coach a kid, you're not going to tell them exactly what to do. They may follow along, but they're going to get bored. They're going to do their own damn thing. And they're going to know way more than what you will ever teach them because they're going to explore their playfulness side and the potential of their movement that maybe things you never even thought of mentally, physically, and spiritually because they're in a stage of development. But what we need to consider as coaches, I think, is that we're always in a stage of development from adolescence beyond that, 18 plus, and 30 plus, and 40 plus, and 50 plus, and 60 plus, all the way until the day we die, there's always a stage of development. Though those circumstances may change, how we address them and how we question them can help provide more um, variability, more opportunity, and more potential to move beyond those attractor wells that pull us into more dysfunction, more pain. Um, so, Michael, if there's any other like closing remarks, I know we've been talking a little bit kind of beyond the scope of just warm-ups and cool-downs, but much more about injury and, and how to communicate when somebody's experiencing pain. Um, is there any closing remarks that you want uh, coaches to consider or to think about as they work with their clients and they work with themselves going through discomfort, things to question, things to look deeper into um, that can help them become more successful with their clients but also with their own movement practice? Yeah, I, we're still in the technological age of the movement that the physique training bodybuilding is fitness. And I want to say this right now very clearly, that is not fitness. That is physique training. Not good or bad, just that's that's what they are. Being looking good, having muscles that are that are that are well shaped is not fitness. And we should not define it as that. You're not fit. You look good. Good job. You've done the work. It's a hard work. It's not how the body is meant to move. So therefore, if you're going to train that way, if you're going to put clients that way, if your intention is to become fit by looking fit, then, you're, then there's a gap. And you've got to fill that gap. Because you're going to have the mindset that you're fit. You put in the hours in the gym. You've ran that treadmill. You've hit that leg extension machine. You've done the curls. You've done the branch press. And you're going to go do something. And you'll be like shocked. Why did that hurt? Why am I not good at that? I work out. I take care of myself. The answer is you do, but you're not in the right way. And that's really tough to hear. Gosh, I even almost didn't say it. But it's, you're not doing it in the full picture. You're really good at one thing, but you need to be good at more things. And you can still look good doing it, but explore that. And unfortunately, you look at all the magazines and all the racks and all the things you look at, it's all about physique training, physique training. That's we got to break that cycle, guys. we got to break it. I'm not saying don't do that, but that is a avenue, and that's not certainly not the avenue that we need to approach as a global fitness community. So grab your pitchfork. Let's go and revolutionize things. There's something that Aubrey Marcus says, and he's actually got a group. It's called Fit for Service. Mm, that's right. He does. Your fitness is your ability to serve. And if there's some way you cannot serve physically... That's where you can train towards. You can work to be fit for service. And so I think for each and every one of us, I think there's nothing wrong with aesthetic training. In fact, I do do it too. I I want good biceps. There's nothing wrong with it. I want some toned quads and some good-looking calves. 
But I also know that I want to be able to help people. I want to be able to serve my people. I want to be able to serve people who are not the same as me, who are older than me, who have injuries, who are struggling with things. And so if you're a coach out there who's wanting to be fit for service and to help those athletes who are struggling, who've been told not to run anymore, and they've stopped running, they went to biking. Those people who have been told to stop biking and now they're just rowing or to go just do their um, pool workouts, their aquatics. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But for those people that you serve that are wanting to get back to the things that they love, we've got to consider what it is that is the gap between where those people are and where they would like to be. And also for ourselves, where are we currently and where is it that we want to be? And it's not about getting to that A to B. It's about the process of getting there. And that's where we can start to serve and help others with their process as well. It's tough. Getting to be is cool. But the process to get there is usually rough. Right. The process from effort in movement to effortless movement takes effort. Yeah. To get your motion to feel free and easy and graceful and beautiful takes effort. And in that process, you find the beauty. You find that service. You find that, that connection with yourself. Um, so for those, those of you that are listening, um, define for yourself, what does it mean to be fit for service? And thank you, Aubrey, for putting that, uh, putting that quote out there. Yeah, it's that good. service out there. It's a really good one. Hey, thanks very much. That was fun. Yeah, thanks, Hughes. Huh. <laughs> Always a good conversation. Right on. I'm sure we'll dive deeper into uh, breaking the cycle of injury and what it means to be injured versus uh, to be in pain. And uh, there'll be many, many more conversations about, uh, I'm sure, what we talked about today because of what you guys share with us. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Hughes, for popping on. And uh, until next time, peace out, y'all. Cheers. Hey, y'all, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness-obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed to the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. We launched this in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor, take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag gymnasio podcast. That's hashtag gymnasio podcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach or in your business and to reach more people, please go check out gymnasioedu.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one -on -one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it, and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnasioedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.